Good morning, Crosswalk, and welcome to the new normal. Things are a little bit different, and we're outside. I'm wearing this so you can remember that if you're coming tonight and you're in the Redlands area, hopefully you've already registered, but you'll come tonight and be prepared to wear a mask, get a temperature taken, make sure we sign in. We're going to make sure that we adhere to all the CDC guidelines and what our county and state are asking of us. It's important that we do this to maintain our witness. We're always going to lean on the more conservative side when it comes to taking care of you. And so there's a lot of protocols that we've put in place from our, our staff to our worship leaders to you who are going to come. So thank you for being compliant. And if, listen, if you felt sick or if you're waiting on a COVID test, take the time to stay home. We're going to be doing this every single week outside. And so if this is not your week, that's okay. We still love you. We care for you. And you're still going to be part of the Crosswalk community but we are living in this new normal. As we move towards Crosswalk 17, which is tonight, we take a look back on 17 years of loving well. We've done great things sometimes, and then sometimes we've missed the mark because we're human, but we're aspiring to be the people that God is asking us to be. And this is really, really important to us. So if you're coming tonight, thank you so much. And if you're not, pray for us that we may have a wonderful event and that God may be lifted up. I can't wait to worship together with my mask in my socially distanced area. Yeah, it may be different, but it's still going to be sweet worship together. Anyway, we're studying Matthew chapter 5 this week as we're looking into the new normal. And here is the place where Jesus begins to really unpack it. He does it for the next few, few chapters, but... We're going to look just at the introduction, and it's an introduction you're very familiar with. I'll jump into verse 1 in chapter 5. Again, reading from the New Living Translation. It says this, One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him. Now, this is a pretty pastoral look, right? Jesus is speaking, so he's sitting down because he's going to open up the scriptures and explain to you what everything means. And he likes speaking on mountains. And the good news about this is that he was probably surrounded by his disciples and then surrounding the disciples were a much greater group of people listening to what he had to say. Listen, when, when someone begins to teach and you begin to listen to them, every once in a while, somebody will be so compelling that other people will start to sit around or stand around and listen. This used to happen to us when we were on our trips to Israel, and it happened to us last year when we were on our trip to Israel. Our tour guides were so great that some people would even leave their own tour guides and come and listen to our tour guide because he was so well-versed in all the history of the different places that we were in. So Jesus sits down, they had gathered around him, and it says this in Matthew 5, 2, he began to preach. Now this was always a moment when Jesus began to preach because people wanted to listen, partly because he said things they hadn't heard before and partly because they simply loved him. I guess a question I might ask you today is, who do you love to listen to? Is there someone, a, a preacher, a teacher, a lecturer, a pundit or a politician that you love to listen to? And my first question to you is why? Is it because they agree with you? Or do you love listening to them because they challenge you? Or, or do you love listening to them because they surprise you? But the next question is probably even more important than why you're listening to them. The second part is this, do you take what they say seriously? Does it change your mind? Does it change your behavior? 
Does it change your worldview because they are looking at the world a little bit differently than you do? Can you trust them? Is there veracity in what they say or do they say things that aren't necessarily true but might convince you to listen to them? You see, Jesus was one of these preachers who, when he would speak, preachers and teachers, I think we can, we can use both those terms, that when he began to speak, people would lean in. And even just the introduction to this particular text is so incredibly powerful. Now, why was it so powerful? The first reason it was so powerful was because, well, he was referencing Isaiah 61. And the Old Testament was just authoritative to the Hebrews. So as he referenced this teaching, it gave the words weight. Not only that, but he used some mnemonic devices. You see, as he began to speak, blessed are they, blessed are they, he actually used words that rhymed. He, his use of alliteration was incredibly powerful as well. And we remember things by a lot of different devices. Rhyming is, of course, one of them. But as he began to say these things, people could get into kind of the rhythm and the pacing of what he was saying. I would have loved to have heard Jesus sitting down and just leaning in to this teaching. But the real reason I think people like to listen to Jesus is that what he said turned the world on its head. The things he said spoke to the very idea of what blessing really was and really is. MTV used to have this show called Diary, and their tagline was, you think you know, but you have no idea. For the longest time, I thought it was for that show Cribs, which it has nothing to do with that show Cribs, but it was that show Diary, and they'd have a famous person saying, you think you know, but you have no idea. You see, when the world gets turned on its head because of what someone says, you have to pay attention. And I wonder, what truth has turned your world upside down? Is it that that person you hope love you said that she or he loved you too? Or maybe it's because that person that you love said that they don't and that turned your world upside down. Maybe that what you thought was true maybe wasn't exactly true. But I wonder, was it the gospel that turned your world upside down? Because even though I grew up in the church, even though I grew up understanding who God was and who Jesus was and grace, it wasn't until I was confronted with the gospel, the whole span of the gospel, how incredibly powerful the covenants in the Old Testament were, all the way leading us up to Jesus and how Jesus blew apart those covenants because he fulfilled both ends of the covenant for us. Man, that turned my world upside down. I've never seen the world the same way since. And so Jesus is going to lean into this teaching. He's going to do it with alliteration. He's going to do it with some, some rhyming and some pacing. And he moves in like this and he said, God blesses those or blessed are those, depending on the version that you're reading. We're reading the New Living Translation. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Now, other translations say poor in spirit. And this phrase is not found anywhere in the Old Testament. And it's not just talking about those who are materially poor even though that may be a part of it. But it's those who feel weak and who feel vulnerable. And oftentimes those who feel weak and vulnerable, it's because they feel oppressed or persecuted. Sometimes it's because they're doing the right things. Sometimes it's because they come from a different people group that is oppressed or persecuted. But see, here's the thing. Giving them the kingdom of heaven, which is promised in that, in that text, giving them the kingdom of heaven is not giving them undue or abject power. It's not a reversal of fortune. Rather, it's saying yours is the kingdom of heaven. Rather, it means that you receive attention and love. Would you rather 
have power and fortune and status, or would you rather have attention and love? It would seem that one would beget the other, right? If you get authority, if you get power, if you get position, if you get money, that you will get that attention and love. But if that was true, we wouldn't have so many tragic stories of the wealthy and the elite and the famous committing suicide, becoming addicted to things that, that, that change and alter their state or other tragic events that happen. Would you rather have power and fortune and status or would you rather have the attention and love of Jesus Christ, which is, by the way, the kingdom of God? He continues on and he says, God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. Now, this one is interesting, I find, because it's not just those who mourn from loss, but it's echoing Isaiah 6, chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. It's those who mourn for the state of the world that they are in. You see, they were in exile. It's not just those who mourn for someone they've lost. We've all lost people and we do mourn for them. But what about mourning for the state of the world? For what do you mourn? And listen, do you worry about the state of the world right now? Because of course I do. I think we all do. As we move into this very contentious time, I just want to remind you all that we have one Savior over and above all, and his name is Jesus. And we have one comforter, it's the Holy Spirit. And we have one sovereign that we serve above anyone and anything, and his name is God. So for what do you mourn? Verse 5. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Now, other translations say meek, right? And, and that's what Matthew uses, but he's the only one who uses this particular term. But it's those who wield their power lightly, or those who rely on God to fashion their destiny. Those are the humble, and they will inherit the whole earth. So, I want to ask you a very specific question today. In the upcoming weeks, how will you be humble? Perhaps this is a question for all time. I think it probably is. But in the next few weeks, particular to this time and what we're going through, at least here in North America, particularly in the United States, how will you be humble? Whether your person wins or the other person wins, whether you feel like we're headed in the right direction or we're not headed in the right direction, how will you, as a person of God, as a follower of Christ, how will you be humble? How will you be gracious? How will you be merciful and comforting in this time? Because if we're not called to be those people, then, then what are we here for? If we are not called to create greater comfort in the world, regardless of what is happening, what is our job as followers of Christ? I'll continue. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice. Some say hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied, right? The allusion here is to the hunger that we have for a right relationship with God. Justice could be seen as justification. And that only comes through Jesus because he is the only one that is satisfied. You see, if you hunger and thirst for justification, for righteousness, for a right relationship with God, that's what's going to satisfy you. Nothing else in this world is going to give you the kind of comfort and satisfaction that a right relationship with Jesus Christ will give you. Don't be confused. This is what he was asking for. Now, does it speak to the, the justice and mercy and compassion of the Old Testament, say an Amos kind of justice as well? Absolutely, it speaks to that. But it also speaks to the personal reconciliation that we have with Jesus Christ. So what is it that you hunger and thirst for? 
What is your deepest desire? And do you think that that's the thing that will actually satisfy you? Verse seven, he just keeps going. God blesses those who are merciful for they will be shown mercy. Now, really, this is the model for forgiveness that we'll speak of later. Remember, in scripture, there's a reciprocity of forgiveness and mercy. What you give, you also receive, as it says. So who needs mercy in your life? Who do you need to forgive? To whom do you need to show mercy? And sometimes that's ourselves, right? Sometimes we have to show mercy on ourselves because we're very hard on ourselves. Other times we have to reach out to those who are willing to receive forgiveness because not everyone is. But our hearts need to be cultivated in that direction. Matthew 5.8 then. God blesses those whose hearts are pure for they will see God. Now, I want to talk about pure in heart for a moment. This really comes from Psalm 24. But when Psalm 24 talks about the pure in heart, he talks about those who are ready to seek God in the temple. So it's not just like pure and impure thoughts like we maybe think about it or pure and impure behaviors, but it's thoughts that lack guile, that lack deceit because you're actually willing to go into the temple and seek out God with your whole heart, with an open heart, with no deceit within you. So when we ask the question, is your heart pure? The pure in heart are those persons whose vision is clear and focused, whose commitment is always genuine, and whose dealings have integrity. Because the truth is, if if you don't have a pure heart, if that's not how you're going to see God, do you really want to see God at all? Seeing God is pretty traumatic. Everyone in scripture who saw God had some pretty significant trauma involved in their life. Specifically for those who saw God with deceit and division in their heart. They rarely made it out alive. So this is protection for you that Jesus is saying. If you want to see God, you've got to be pure in heart because you do not want to see God if you're not, if there's deceit, if there's guile in your heart. 5.9, God blesses those who work for peace for they will be called the children of God. For those who bring peace and those who make peace, peace. Now I'm going to ask you a very specific question. You may not like it, but what are you going to do to bring and make peace in the next few weeks? And I'm serious about this. I've had some very troubling conversations with people who who seem to think that, I don't know, a civil war would be good for us. Matthew 24 tells us about wars and rumors of wars. Okay, we've we've heard and, and thought through a lot of that this season. But what are you going to do to make sure that there is peace? Because we are being specifically and directly called to be peacemakers, to make peace, to bring peace, to maintain peace, to de-escalate. How are we going to do that? And how are you committing as a follower of Christ to be that in your community, in your home, in your neighborhood? If you're not willing to do that, or if you're not interested in doing that, are you really listening to what Jesus says? Remember when we talked about those you like to listen to? Do you take them seriously? And of all the people that you listen to, if you claim Christ, he's got to be the one that has authority above all. So how are you going to bring peace in the next few weeks, in the next few months? And then we end here in in chapter 5, verse 10. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And see, this all ties together, right? Why do they mourn? Oftentimes because they're 
oppressed and they're, they're worried about the state of the world. Why thirst and hunger? Because you want this right relationship with God. In fact, all of this culminates in chapter 5, verse 10. This is the way that they are all put together. Because seeking to do right, seeking to be a peacemaker, seeking to be all these different things often puts us directly in the way of persecution. All these things that we are and have and do, it puts us directly in the way of persecution because it's not like the world. It's like the kingdom. And that's why the kingdom of heaven is yours if you seek those things. Listen, these texts are famous and often quoted. They're not new to us, but sometimes, because things are familiar, we just don't really take them seriously. So these texts are famous and often quoted, but are they often lived? The one question of paramount importance over the next few weeks, and really over the rest of our lives, but over the next few weeks and next few months is this. Are these things that we are called to lived? Are these wise words for us? If not, then what are we doing here? Then what do we claim? Who do we actually claim to follow? How we live over contentious times speaks to our witness for Christ in huge ways. What will people see in you of Christ? Will they see these 10, really eight verses? Hunger and thirst for righteousness and for a right relationship with God mourning for the state of the world, but a desire to make peace and create a, a better world for us to live in, what will they see in you? What will they see in me? And what will they see in us as we claim this banner of followers of Christ and more specifically Seventh-day Adventists and even more specifically than that, those who claim that we belong to this community called Crosswalk who believe in loving well. You know, it's not just my decision. It's what we do together. Something as simple as coming to our event, prepared to be compliant with the protocols and safety that we've put in place, that's your witness. We've said it a million times, the way you speak to one another online, that's your witness. The way you decide to take care of your community, the way that you just decide to take care of your family, your neighborhood, those who are like you and those who are unlike you, that's your witness. What people know about Christ, they know through you. They know through me. And they know through us. So wherever you are, whatever God is calling you to do, I don't care what side of, of anything you're on, know that these words hold authority in our lives. This rhyme that Jesus was saying, this, this alliterative work that he put together to show us how we become citizens of the kingdom of God. Man, take it seriously. Like you've never taken it seriously before because these are the words of life. These are the words of hope. These are the words of grace and these are entrance into the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. God of grace, we wanna thank you for this sanctuary that you've given us outside. And for those of us who are coming tonight, we ask that you, you be with us, that safety reign that grace and compliance be this amazing gift that we give one another. Lord, may the community around us be blessed by Crosswalk being there, as they are with every single one of our campuses all throughout the U.S. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to worship, not just together, but even individually at home. Thank you for the content 
that you've gracefully allowed us to create and send out over these last few months, that's not gonna stop. But God, as we seek to see you under the skies tonight, and for those who are at home right now, convict our hearts that those eight verses from chapter five, verse three to chapter five, verse 10, become our anchor point, not just over the next few weeks, but over the rest of our lives. We pray these things in your holy name, the name of Jesus, amen.